Welcome to Aging Together, a podcast dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities of caring for our aging loved ones. This podcast is a product of Caregiver Consulting and Healthy Solutions, a private consulting practice dedicated to helping you navigate the aging process with ease. Together, we will dive into a wide range of topics, including health and wellness, financial planning, caregiving, and more. This podcast is for everyone, whether you are an older adult looking to age in place, a caregiver seeking support and guidance, a young or middle-aged adult planning for the future, or simply someone interested in learning more about the aging process. I hope you'll join me on this journey. Let's navigate aging together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode at Aging Together. I'm your host, Pooja, and this week we are continuing on with American Heart Month with the topic on caregiving during a cardiac emergency. Last month, I reviewed information related to cardiovascular health, how it changes with aging, preventative health measures, and the impact of heart diseases on caregivers and families. Today, we're going to hear from someone who experienced his father having an unanticipated cardiac emergency and its aftermath. I am so excited to have our second guest speaker here with us today, my absolutely wonderful husband, Sagar Pandya. Sagar, thank you so much for joining me in this discussion today. Thank you for having me. So, of course, I sort of know what transpired, but I want to hear it from your perspective as a son with limited to no background in health nor our healthcare system. Start from the beginning and tell us what happened. So, we're going to take this story back to the summer of 2021. And I want to just create this picture in your mind so you can see how the events transpired and what it meant for our family at the time. To give you some context on my father's health, just being a South Asian, it seems as though we are already fighting an uphill battle in terms of being as healthy as possible because of the diets and some of the things we do in our culture that are normal from the types of foods that we eat, the types of activities that we partake in, and just some of the things that we find important on a day-to-day perspective. Going back to that with this context, in July of 2021, my father had experienced some shortness of breath and chest pain that was pretty unusual given the fact that he's only you know in his 60s. But the fact that his health history included previous visits to hospitals in the past. So while the chest shortness of breath probably to a normal person may not seem like a big deal, the fact that my dad had a health history of this in the past created a little bit of additional concern around the entire process. So it was the end of July of 2021. And when he had experienced some of this shortness of breath, we had essentially scheduled appointments with his doctor out in the suburbs to do their initial testing to understand what was going on. And being a non-healthcare person, you know, we listen to our doctors blindly because we don't have anything else to compare it to in terms of what has to happen. So our initial thought was, let's get to the doctor quickly and see what they have to say. So the doctor was able to schedule him that same day, and he was able to see him do the typical tests like blood test monitoring, and then just going through essentially what's like a physical at the time. And what happened was that the doctor wanted to do some additional testing to understand the health of the heart. And to my understanding, this is something called an EKG to see how the heart is beating and how healthy it's actually being able to produce and pump blood throughout the body. But the biggest challenge that we found was that 
even though the the shortness of breath had essentially stopped by the time my dad had made it to the doctor's office a couple hours later, the doctor wasn't able to get my father scheduled for an EKG until like three weeks out, which to me was just insanely long. And I totally understand, you know, we were right in the middle of COVID and trying to battle all these things, but I had no understanding of why it took three weeks for a doctor or a hospital to schedule an EKG. And I had no understanding about the context behind the timeline that they gave him. Thankfully, my father was part of a concierge medical plan that I had signed up him and my mother on a year before, simply because I wanted them to have better care throughout COVID just in case something had happened. We had phoned up our doctor at our concierge place in the city. And without hesitation, doctor had recommended that we go in for additional testing at a hospital in downtown Chicago. And because of this, my dad was able to get to the hospital and get in front of the folks in the cardiology department to do an EKG and a stress test the next day. And the head of cardiology had come out from that hospital and looked my dad straight in the face and asked how my father was able to walk into their hospital on his own two feet. After speaking to head of cardiology, I found out that my father's blockage was 100% in what's called the widowmaker, which is the main artery that supplies blood and oxygen to the brain from the heart. Within three days, my father was put under surgery to go through something called a cabbage, which for us non-healthcare folks was essentially heart surgery. He had undergone heart surgery to replace three valves in the heart in order to allow blood flow to come out fully. And this, mind you, happened all in the span of a week. The original timeline at the hospital in the suburbs, which was very concerning for me, was three weeks to get just this additional testing when the hospital in the city was able to identify this much faster and they were able to get him into a surgery that next week. This was probably one of the hardest things that our family has gone through. And the reason was because the surgery was about eight hours. We were sitting at home, my mom was completely emotional and unsure of what was going to happen. And this hospital had some text messaging set up, so it would text us every hour to ensure that we had some type of communication to know where they were at in the surgery. This went great for about the first five hours of the surgery. In the last three hours, the text messages stopped coming in. So as any non-healthcare person, we're assuming the absolute worst. We're thinking that this is it. They didn't make it through, and there's some complications that they're not telling us about. But unfortunately, we didn't have a way to call into the hospital and figure out what was happening. Four hours after the text had stopped, the head of cardiology that had done the surgery called my mom and told us that my father was out in recovery. It was probably the most grueling eight hours of our life because of the uncertainty and doubt we place in our minds and the conclusion that we were drawing up. But thankfully, the surgery was successful, and I'm grateful for this hospital in the city to be able to identify this cardiac incident and be able to act quickly because who knows what would have happened if we had just waited for the three weeks to try to get additional testing done at the hospital in the suburbs. So all in all, I think the experience of the hospital was what got us to this point, but still having to go through it as a family without any prior training or getting prepared for it mentally was pretty brutal. So he's out of surgery now and he's in recovery. How was the caregiving experience after surgery? Were you the primary caregiver? Did you have assistance? Kind of talk to us about how that all played out after the surgery. So there's not really a class or a manual that I have come across that helps folks become caregivers after a very stressful and emotionally taxing experience, such as the one I just explained. 
So the caregiving experience for me was an entirely a learning process, learning how to essentially interpret what the doctors were telling us, learning how to manage and control our own emotions and thoughts, learning how to communicate and interact with my dad post-surgery. All of that while we were still in the middle of a pandemic, which greatly limited our ability to go see him at the hospital. The caregiving experience was entirely a masterclass on what to do when a family member gets sick. And I have to thank my wife, Pooja, for being our support system and being the interpreter and essentially the conduit for our family to understand what was happening in front of us. I can't imagine what folks, Pooja, to be honest, that the folks that don't have any type of healthcare support or family member they can trust and rely on, what they must go through when they have to sit through a family medical emergency. It just, it was a very challenging and daunting process. And I and can say confidently that your support was what was able to get us through it. I also have to give props to my mother. She was the primary caregiver for my father, who once he was released from the hospital, stayed at our apartment at the time in the city because we were about five minutes away from the hospital. So if anything had come up, we had a quick route to get back if needed, since my parents' home is about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic in the suburb. So my experience was entirely learning. It was entirely happening in front of me real time. And I was able to find a side of my mother that I really didn't see before because of her stepping in and just taking on the caregiver responsibility from taking notes to talking to the doctors and really being the one that is leading and helping to make decisions for my dad. I felt like I was, you know, maybe an assistant coach on the sidelines where if there were things or tasks that had to happen, if there was something that had to be done that she couldn't do herself because she was completely focused on dad. That was the experience for me and the power of why it matters for family to come together in moments like these to work together to to get our father healthy again so that he can continue getting back to his quality of life. Yeah, taking care of all those extracurricular tasks and needs was definitely your time to shine throughout that process. Okay, so you talked about mom jumping into that caregiver role. Do you feel like there are cultural values or expectations that come with our community when it comes to aging family members? Or do you feel like she kind of just stepped in because that's what she wanted to do and had to do? If you think about the Indian culture and the South Asian culture, we're raised from a young age to take care of our elders and take care of our parents, regardless of what happens to them, regardless of what challenges they have, regardless of where you live or what career you're in. Taking care of your parents is just the expectations given to you as a young child. So growing up, I knew at some point that my parents, they're human beings, they're going to end up getting sick at some point. And I knew that there would be a time in my life where I would have to jump in and assume some of that responsibility. Of course, nothing prepares you for that moment actually happens. But when it does, you lean back on some of these expectations that were put on you as a child and throughout your life as you grew up. So I think because of that, you know, my mom went through something very similar where she grew up in India in that culture where the expectation was very similar that once your parents get older, you know, the expectation is that the kids take care of them. So I think my mom jumped in, obviously, because she cares deeply about my father and his well-being, right, first and foremost, but also because she grew up with that cultural expectation of taking care of your husband, your parents, and those around you. 
at all costs. So for her to spring into action was not a surprise to me. She has always been the one that has jumped in when our family needed it most without any expectation of a favor in return, without any pats on the back. And for her to do that was very inspiring and essentially persuading for me to also jump in to support her because I wanted her to succeed in taking care of my father once he finished his surgery. And I think I really realized that we make a dynamic duo in working together. Even though my father's surgery was very severe and it was a big undertaking, the relationship that me and my mother have had since I've been a child is, I think, very special. And that bond was truly the reason why we were able to tag team and take care of dad the way that he needed. And I just think, you know, in the South Asian culture, we are highly expected to take care of our parents. And this was no different. We jumped in, you know, as we needed to and came through on the end. And I'm happy to say that he's fully recovered now, but that was such a great experience. Hopefully I never have to go through that again. But if it does happen, I know that I can count on my family to be able to support us and we're going to be able to get through it together. So now that this is all in the past and dad's recovered, what do you feel is the aftermath of having gone through this cardiac emergency? And does it or how does it continue to affect you today? Once this experience finally was put into the past and, you know, we talked about timeline, the actual surgery itself happened in August of 2021. So we're just 18 months out from this major surgery. So the experience is still obviously in the back of all of our heads. And it's very evident based on the scarring and uh, everything you see on my father's chest now that this has been done. But the aftermath for me personally was the need to completely focus and prioritize my own health above all else. I'm grateful that my parents came to this country with almost nothing in their pockets. But because of that, they didn't really have the education, foresight, or the capability to lead a healthy lifestyle. And I think some of that is the reason why they are going through the things they are going through today is because they didn't have the luxury of having the space to make better health decisions. They gave me and my siblings the opportunity to do that. And I do not want to take that for granted. So the the aftermath for me was, how do I take my health more seriously and prioritize it above all else? How do I ensure that the food that I'm eating or the exercise that I'm doing is contributing to heart health? How do I know that the foods and the exercise and the decisions I make contribute to a healthy lifestyle? And how can I prevent my future kids from having to see me in a similar situation? So I prioritize my health. I quit drinking. I'm in the gym much more often. I am recording as much data as possible to ensure that I give myself the best shot for being as healthy as possible so that when my kids grow up and if they decide to have kids, I have the right health so I can continue to be the best version of myself and so that I don't have to put my family through any potential challenging health situations in the future. And it sucks that it it took this moment for me to realize and get to that level of priority. Before then, I was on autopilot. I'm like, I'm young. I'm invincible. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'll be just fine. But the moment that this happened and I saw my dad you know, in the hospital with everything connected to him, I knew that was not a place that I wanted to be. So focusing on prioritizing my mental health also was very important. And I think what the aftermath of this was an entire learning experience 
and a newfound passion for choosing a healthy lifestyle at all costs. When you reflect on this journey over the past year and a half that we've been through, is there information or advice you wish you had or known prior to this event and journey? I mentioned earlier in my conversation that nobody ever gives you a manual on how to become a caregiver. I'm extremely lucky because we have you, Pooja, who is a healthcare practitioner, who is that conduit and interpreter for us to go from health speak to normal people speak. I recognize that a lot of families that are listening or a lot of folks that are listening don't have that luxury in their in their own lives. So what really did it for me in this, in terms of reflecting on the journey, I think first and foremost is that we're all human beings. And the more we can start to prep for a healthier lifestyle, the more in control we're going to be and the less number of surprises that are going to pop up. Before this, you know, I was always afraid to go to the doctor because I didn't want to know if there was something happening to me and how I would deal with a medical emergency or something announced where my family would have to get involved to help take care of me. So I think first and foremost, the advice that I wish I had received was becoming a little bit more focused on prevention and taking the right steps to build a healthy lifestyle so that a cabbage or a heart valve replacement doesn't just come and punch you out of left field. I think that's priority number one. I think the second piece of advice that I wish I'd gotten was leaning on your family and being vulnerable in times of need is totally okay. And not putting on a front or an excuse as to why you can't work together to ensure that a sick family member is taken care of. I think my dad saw that we were all working together. And part of that was his recovery on seeing that we were able to communicate. We were able to work together as a team and it didn't matter what the extent of the responsibility was, we all divvied it up and got it done because our only priority was seeing that dad was healthy. The third piece of advice that I wish I had gotten was to get a second opinion and to not wait. Can you imagine, Pooja, what would have happened if we had waited for that suburban hospital to schedule additional heart testing three weeks later? We probably would be in a completely different scenario and having a completely different conversation right now. So I'm just grateful that we had the foresight to make a decision to get a second opinion and not waiting, even though the quote unquote shortness of breath didn't seem like anything severe at the time based on our initial consult. I didn't like the answer that we got from our initial doctor. So getting a second opinion, not waiting and acting quickly was really the reason that my dad is alive today. And I think advice number four is, you know, when you go through hard times and they really build in a lot of resiliency and grit. You always have to spend some time to reflect and prepare yourself for what's going to happen in the future. We're all human beings. Things are going to happen again. And living in consistent and constant fear about the uncertainty really paralyzes people from making the decisions that they need to make to live healthier lifestyles. So I think prepping for the future, predicting what's going to happen, and really setting yourself up to be able to react quickly. I think if someone had given me these pieces of advice earlier, it probably would have been less stressful. But now I'm going through the process. I think I have like a master's or an MBA in caregiving now <laughs> because now I know exactly what to do, where to go, and how to respond uh, based on what life throws at us. And I'm just grateful that we were able to get through it together as a family. 
you just gave so much advice to other people who probably hopefully have never gone through this before or are going through this right now. You mentioned getting a second opinion when you don't like the answer or don't trust the answer. And that's a piece that I think comes with having someone in your family who it has a medical background and they know that you can ask for a second opinion and that there are different ways to handle things. I just think about all those families that you mentioned who don't have a medical provider in their family and they take the first piece of advice they get or first piece of direction they get from a trained medical provider and the outcomes could be very different, like you mentioned. I totally agree. Not everyone has the luxury of having a healthcare person on their side in their family. So what maybe I think about if we didn't have your support in this scenario, what we would have done It's all about reaching out to your community, your friends, your trusted advisors, people that you get along with, because you may have an answer for something that is within your network that you're just not aware of. And I know doctors today, they do their best, right? They try to make the best diagnosis based on the information they have today. But until you have second, third, fourth, or fifth opinions and you move quick, that's going to be the best way for you to try to get to the outcome. So not speaking as a healthcare provider, because I'm not in that field, but simply having additional resources so that you do have a sense of uh, confidence that you're going into the situation with as much information as possible and using that to try to make the best decision for you and your family. If in the future you had to be, let's say, the primary caregiver for somebody, not necessarily family, it could be a friend or you know a close relative, Do you feel that this situation prepared you to take that on without concern? Or do you feel like you would still hope that you'd had some guidance as a primary caregiver versus a secondary caregiver? The entire process for me was a learning experience. And I can say confidently now, you know, aside from the emotional toll that it takes on you when things happen, I feel pretty confident. I know that in order to be a caregiver for someone that you care about, you have to surround yourself with the right folks who can help you throughout the journey. And I know folks listening to this, not everyone has that luxury. Sometimes you're on your own, but it all comes down to identifying priorities, getting as many opinions as possible, and then taking action. I think inaction is the reason why a lot of folks end up in really bad places. And I know a lot of folks don't have that luxury like I do, where they have multiple folks they can lean on. But I think the biggest thing is making sure that you take action and deciding. Because once you decide, that is taking steps to getting to a positive outcome. So I think I could confidently say, hopefully this doesn't happen anytime soon. But if it were to happen, I would be able to at least navigate through the process, talk to the right folks in our community or our support system to get structure around the problem, and then making the decisions needed to get to a positive place so that we can hopefully move past whatever incident is requiring the caregiving in the first place. And I will be right there with you to help you, hopefully. Well, this was such an emotional conversation, I know. I, of course, had my own perspective on the entire journey, but it's insightful hearing it from your end. I thank you again for taking the time to join me here today on my podcast and for sharing your vulnerable lived experience and experiencing this cardiac emergency and taking care of your family and me. Thank you for allowing me to chat and talk about this super life defining experience for us and our family. 
And I'm hoping that some of the sharing I had today helps build some confidence and gives folks that are listening the strength to get through whatever hard thing life throws at you. There's always a way to surround yourself with the right people. I think caregiving is one of those things that just requires people to come together and it's all done through love. And the more you can focus on that, the better things are going to be. And hopefully you get to a place of positivity once it's all over. And take care of your heart. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. To all my listeners, thank you for tuning into this week's episode with our second guest speaker. Sharing lived experiences can help the community truly understand the impact of declining health on themselves and others. At Caregiver Consulting and Healthy Solutions, we are dedicated to helping you navigate aging together. Tune in next week to shift gears into Women's History Month with a topic on women and aging. I hope you'll join me again.